life of a long-term multitasker. This is the Casually Profound series, where conversations create deeper connections with others and yourself, where every interaction is an opportunity to laugh, think, and feel fully, where magical moments happen spontaneously and abundantly. This series has discussions that transcend the surface level of what people do or who they are in the outer world. It aims to normalize thinking. I hope for all those engaged in this discussion, including myself, the guest, and especially you, the active listener, we stop and ponder on the ultimate question, who am I really? All while enjoying every second of it, of course. All right, welcome back, everyone. We are here at the amazing land of a thousand hills coffee, a little tucked away corner here that I've, we've never discovered before <laughs> until the other uh, person told us. But I'm here with the amazing Jessica Lackey. Um, I'm just really excited to um, talk to her today to have a casually profound conversation. Uh, we met um, earlier this year, about six, seven months ago at a, um, I'm not sure, it was a C-suite conference. I'm not sure how you would actually describe it. It was kind of the beginning of a squad, the uh, lots of insights from um, financial operations, sales, all these different aspects of business and really a networking community was starting to build there. So that's how I met Jessica. Um, but yeah, really excited to have you on. Super excited to be here. I'm looking forward to a casually profound conversation. <laughs> love that, love that. So normally I just kind of start off with something I'm grateful for. Um, yeah, for me, I'm just really grateful for this. We're recording this in October, so just like the the change of seasons, the change of um, like right now in my life, been there's this uh, ac exponential growth, I guess, this like sprint to the finish, if you will. Um, also metaphorical for the marathon I'm running in a month, <laughs> um, but sprint to the finish for the rest of this year. Um, grown in a lot of personal ways and professional ways. Um, so I'm really grateful for that opportunity to still um, continue to learn even though I'm being stretched and I'm in a learning zone rather than just in my comfort zone right now. So I'm grateful for being in that mental and physical space. What about yourself? Well, I'm also in the just finished the sprint to a finish. So I'm grateful for the grab life by the goals squad because I leapt out of corporate 18, year, 18 months ago and this group of human beings um, online and also in Charlotte has supported me when I was tapped out of capacity physically, emotionally, spiritually. Some, you know, had to dig deep into my financial reserves over the past uh, two to three months for this launch I just completed. And you can't do that without a supportive community. I mean, you can but it's just so hard to move forward without the resiliency that comes with community. So I'm just so thankful for um, the community of um, amazing human beings that I've found in the squad. Love that, love that. I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll get to uh, what the squad is as well at some point today, but um, yeah, I'd like to start off with just a quick visualization exercise of, uh, of having an amazing conversation. So anyone who's listening can follow along as well. And take a deep breath. In through the nose. 
and out through the mouth. Sinking deeper into our bodies. Sinking deeper into our seats. Letting everything around us, just letting go of that. Just being here in the present moment. Relaxing our body on the top of our head, all of our joints, all of our muscles, shoulders, elbows, hands, knees, feet, and everything in between. And from this place of relaxation and ease, let's imagine an amazing conversation of crazy insights, never before thought of ideas, and feelings we've never maybe felt before, but leaving this conversation feeling energized for the rest of the day, for the rest of the week for the rest of the year and onwards. Just soaking in that feeling for a quick moment here. And when we're ready, we can return back to our world. <laughs> How did that feel? <laughs> feels good. I did not meditate this morning, so it felt nice to take some intentional breaths. Awesome. Well, I, I, yeah, I didn't meditate either, so it kind of fit in <laughs> mm -hmm. seamlessly. Um, so the first question that I wanted to ask you, Jessica, is who do others think Jessica Lackey is? I think other people think I am much braver than maybe I feel I am. Um, because I have really changed parts of my life that really didn't fit and done it pretty quickly, pretty no looking back and with the fortitude to stay the course. Some of that comes with um, both earned and unearned privilege from growing up, but um, some of it comes from just being willing to take leaps and do crazy shit mm. <laughs> that, um, that I'm like, well, this isn't just what everybody does. And people are like, no, this is not what everybody does. Yeah, gotcha. I guess what is, is there an example of you taking that brave action or brave decisions that other people may not perceive as normal? Yeah, so seven, eight years ago right now, or right around 2015, I was working at Nike. I had the perfect on paper job, good salary, lots of upward progression, mobility, and um, I was an utter wreck, I was miserable. And yet most people are like, well, I need to keep the money coming in, their lifestyle expands, you know, they have, they have family and things like that. And so they're kind of trapped at this like, you know, kind of this path of the corporate ladder. And 
I was still working at Nike and I raised my hand. I said, get me the fuck out um, of at least this path. So I was, I spent a week crying to my boss who was not really okay with it. And I realized something was wrong. Like, and most people, it's easy to say, well, why don't I just like shove that back inside? Um, I, I can't risk getting off the track. What if people don't like me anymore? What if people think I'm not ambitious? What if, what if, what if, what if? And I said, I can't, I can't do these what ifs. So I need, so I raised my hand like loudly and I said, get me a new job or I will get myself a new job. So they moved me to a job that was easier. And that started the whole path of reclaiming my body and my soul, which meant I moved to Charlotte to be closer to my family. I ended up becoming a life coach, left my, um, left my corporate job to step out as entrepreneur. But all that came from being willing to say, yes, I recognize I'm going to take an immense status hit that I may never recover from at Nike and I can't not do that. And I don't think that's a decision. I know that is a decision that as I'm talking about it more um, publicly on LinkedIn and about my stories, the amount of messages I get from people saying, I want to leave this path and do something different, but I'm scared. Like I get messages like that every time I post something remotely personal on LinkedIn, like my former McKinsey colleagues or Nike colleagues or Harvard Business School classmates, I'll say, I'm terrified. So that's the brave and bold decision that I made and I feel incredible about it, but I'm also hoping that I can be an expander for other people on that topic. Mm. Is, is a feeling of, of feeling brave, was that something you didn't feel before that, um, you know, seven years ago or so? I guess, did you have inklings of it or did you feel brave in other aspects? I guess, how was that feeling of braveness before and kind of after those decisions? Well, I think the first one was like, I had reached a crucible point where there, like, like the pain was so much that I couldn't stay where I was. Like there wasn't like a bravery at that point. It was like survival of like, if I don't break out of the cycle, I'm going to destroy my life. So there was like the first step of like, kind of like get me away from like this like bottom that I'm at. I don't know if that was called brave, but then being able to step away from the pain and then being like, okay, like I have a choice to make. I can go back to where it was with like some new knowledge about how to survive in that kind of system. Or I can step forward into kind of like this new direction mm. of holistic health and entrepreneurship and move forward in that direction. And that was, I think the brave step. So, um, there's this quote that I love from Patrick Overton, which is at some point you'll come to the edge of the light of everything you know, and you have to take a leap into the darkness. And one of two things will happen. You'll either find something to land on or you'll learn to fly. It's the summary of the quote. Um, I'm sure it's more actually specific, but um, that, that concept of like, you have to be brave enough to step like into what you, the unknown, like into the breach. And I think the first, step for me was like just getting out of the just getting away from like the edge of like a hole and then then i had to actually take some pretty bold leaps mm. i guess what, what were those bold leaps in addition to like starting the business well um leaving my like leaving nike and actually moving across the country so like i had spent seven years in portland oregon after um, business school and I, I left to take a new job which was i moved a lot but like moving at 29 and moving at 35 are very different animals because like my friends were there like I was moving to somewhere I didn't really 
I didn't really pick Charlotte, Charlotte, like Charlotte's where my brother was. So I moved to be near him, but I didn't move to be like, that was not like really my choice of where to live. Um, but that was a huge leap. Um, and then quitting my job was a huge leap. Um, becoming like investing in myself in coach training was a really big leap because, um, you know, yes, you learn how to coach, but you also, um, get stretched and grow. You, you get stretched and pushed in a lot of ways. Um, and then I, I got married, um, two years ago, which at 38 is a big, like, you know, I was cruising. Right. But I, you know, like I've been independent for 40 years almost. And to like take the leap and say, no, I want to actually build my life with somebody that's going to push me and challenge me. Like that's a huge, that was a huge leap as well. Like it's, you know, would it be more convenient and more comfortable to kind of live the life I've been living where it was like kind of reachingized and, but like, those are like the choice to build a life with someone and open yourself up to that level of intimacy with a partner is also really brave. I don't think we give um, the, the decision to like be in a committed long-term relationship, like as much credit, like that's a, yes, it's societal construct. And yes, we all want to, we want like a partner, but like, that's a huge deal to like be that, to take a leap to get married. So, yeah. Cause it's, yeah, we see it's almost like it's, yeah. Cause it's not seen as brave because it's the norm. It's like, right. Oh yeah. At whatever age you should be getting married and have kids. Like that's the standard path. Right. Like even from career started, yeah. it's, you know, get a job, you know, graduate college, get a job. And if you want to do like some graduate program, like an MBA, you do that. And then you go back into, you know, consulting or working at a big company and then keep going up the ladder. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's interesting that we don't necessarily see the, the personal side of that with, right. um, like, you know, with the partners and, um, and all that, I guess one thing I'm interested is like the, the cause of like, so you felt burnt out, felt all these like emotions, yeah. um, working at, um, your previous jobs, what do you think like causes, like, how do you think we got here as a society <laughs> with like, with these big corporations and then them not taking into account whether intentionally or unintentionally, how their employees feel yeah. and lack of connection with you know, their own personal lives. Yeah. Well, I'll give you the summary of the things I've been learning about and reading, right? Because, you know, this, I think where, how we got here, it's like, you know, it goes back to religion and industrialization. So, you know, you think about, you know, religion, you've heard like, you know, Protestant speak about like idle hands or the devil's work, right? Like <clears throat> the American ideal of like work hard and, you know, you'll, you'll succeed and like, you know, we, you know, it's all about like kind of like rugged individualism, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? Which on the one hand, I'm like, I love the idea of like the individual being able to like do this for themselves. Um, but then you start to see that, um, you know, we started industrializing, you know, a hundred years ago, Frederick Taylor and Henry Ford. How can we put people on machine lines and make more output get more predictable, get more linear, um, ramp up, really ramp up volume as we start to industrialize. And I think that that constant need for growth, this constant 
um, moral good of productivity and then a lot of the I have different differences of opinions with a lot of people on like kind of the role of government but I think um, stripping away some of the foundational elements of care and removing that from like you know kind of putting care as like a requirement um, of families but then also building structures that isolate people um, so now you have a instead of having like villages and communities of care you have individual houses right and we're kind of told that like the burden of taking care of the family is on you in your individual your individual house and so like when you then we, we start to go into the work space and workforce um, you know who else are your friends besides the people you work with right companies are pressured for more and more profits quarter after quarter and you know they're incentivized to keep you at work longer they're incentivized to take you away from you know essentially communities and those bounds of care that used to be embedded in like where we lived but are now kind of stripped away through you know government policy through um through kind of just societal changes and so like Corporations don't need to invest in you as a human being because they need to make profit and governments aren't investing like we're not we're not set up to have like communities of care and so people are just isolated they're all alone and then you're like well if I want to take a leap or something like that to protect myself from what's arguably wage theft from companies well where else am I gonna go I don't have friends I don't go to church. I don't have community bonds because I've had to work so damn hard just to stay employed to have health insurance, for example. I can't take a risk. I have, I have no backstop. So we've been stripped of our communities of care based on kind of like, you know, the neoliberalism in the past, you know, two, you know, past couple of decades. But like, and then you're like, well, shit, where am I going to go? Like I rely on my job for my sense of self, my sense of worth. I rely on my job for my health insurance. I rely on my job for community. And as human beings, all we wanna do is be part of a tribe. If we leave our jobs, we have no, like that's just, that's just like boggles the mind on so many levels of like, that risks my health, that risks my sense of belonging, that risks my sense of identity because all that's gotten tied into work. Mm. So though I didn't recognize those structural forces and I didn't really do them justice. I can send you lots of things that are like how, how we got here from a um, you know, late stage capitalism uh, kind of perspective, but it all lends to like, you have to be an incredibly resilient human being to take these risks. And we're talking resilience financially, resilience with your communities, resilience with your health. And those are not all things that are available to everybody at this moment in time. Mm, that's a great answer because it's, because I view, so I, I think people have a negative connotation towards the word systems. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh man, I, I'm in a system. It's like standardized and it's like, it's like education, like everything is a system. And so, but I think systems allow us, but I also think systems are a form of leverage. Yeah. And so systems allow us to raise the floor in addition to raising our ceiling. Right. And so, but from what I understood what you were saying there, it's like these systems, which can work in both ways, have lessened, you know, decreased the floor of like, okay, we have to be resilient to then basically just get to par. Yeah. 
right? Rather than being able to go above and beyond where that should be the natural and that should be the norm of, yeah. um, resiliency shouldn't even be a thing. Right, <laughs> yeah. I'm not about like, I, I don't like disbelieve in like privatization. Um, like I don't, I believe that like private companies are probably more um, able to, you know, be nimble and be innovative than government organizations. But I also believe that like, the entire system that we're a part of and including the laws and the bank policies and the financial you know engines and like just like the politicians and things like that we have created a system that is divisive and you know divisive kind of for profit and you know again like facebook's not a government entity but facebook for its own profit divided the country in the 2016 election, regardless of your feelings on the topic. Um, but again, like we, our systems allow that to happen because it rewards profit for private companies. Um, again, like, so what are the systems that we would need to put in place to change the trajectory of the overall wealth and health um, of the entire, the, in the entire society? But that's disadvantageous to the personal profits of those who benefit from the system and who are in charge of making the system. So it's like, of course, like that's not, why would we change the system? It works for them. Yeah. So yeah, I guess like one thing I'm still grappling with is like the notion of these, let's say these large government system, education system, organizational systems, right. et cetera. Like are the systems actually broken or is it, I don't think it's or, um, but how much of it, let's say is the let's say the purpose of a system, like the incentivization of a system, yeah. like this for-profit to divide, et cetera, for-profit, um, how much of it is the people, right, within the system, right? If we just had better, quote-unquote, better people leading these systems, right, is, is the floor raised then? So, like, I'm, I'm still grappling with, like, those sorts of ideas. Well, I think it's like the system is working as designed, but it's just not designed for everybody. It's designed for the people who put it in place. So like, you know, if you go back, slavery was a system, right? Like it didn't work for everybody, but certainly worked for the people who put it in place as an example. Um, but I think it's like, how do you recognize the like human triggers, right? Human social triggers. And are there places that we can, um, like we're, we're wired to want more because like we are evolved to that like I need more to avoid feeling scarce so like if we know that we're wired that way right how do how do systems can you put in place that say recognizing that is a fundamental human trait how do we need to operate knowing that that is a fundamental human trait but how, what are the what are the operating rules that we would put in place to say we recognize that trait and we are going to do something different. So I think that's like, you know, I don't know, you know, but like, I don't know enough about like human psychology to know, but um, for example, um, I'm reading, I read this book over the, the last year, it's called Reimagining Capitalism When a World is on Fire. And it's not about public, it's not about, again, like not privatization of, of companies and like not, you know, but it's like the concept of, um, we need to change the horizons of like the metrics of success we're looking for. So if you're, um, if you're oil and gas, this has been a time of, you know, this hundred period has been a time of record 
profits, but you've done it by extracting all of the natural resources from the ground and contributing to climate change. So really, like we have not priced into the system the they're, they're 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 supposed to do that right like but we have not priced in as a or as a society the price of you know the kind of hidden unseen costs that fuel that profit right so like if we're really doing a cost benefit and saying well let's maximize profits given the cost just there hasn't been an externalization of like natural resources and you know families and societies and the commons that we have kind of we've stripped those unseen costs for that benefit system really good systems should say like how do we price that in or how do we look have a longer horizon and say like we need to think about longer term not like you know profits in the next quarter in the next year but we need to look at profits in the next generation next two generations next three generations and if you're saying like my measure of success is not hitting wall street's expectations next quarter but it's hitting you know profits five, you know, 10 decades from now, would that change the decision-making? And I think it, it, the, the book argues that it would. Like if you, if you take generational looks at the metrics, yes, we want profit over that time, but if like you strip all the natural resources and there's no planet mm -hmm. in a decade, a hundred, you know, hundred years, then really you haven't actually like done your fiduciary diligence for your, your, your shareholders at that point. But it's like we're looking at it things like quarter by quarter because of like how the elections work and, and you know, we're versus like having people with the, the kind of the fortitude to say we're going to take longer horizons. We want investors that are going to take longer horizons and we are going to work actively towards that, which may mean shorter profits in the near term. So we have to go against human nature to kind of look further ahead at the longer term implications of the decisions we make. Mm. So I guess then how do you see that playing out in with something like businesses like yours who are right right now it's you know small business solopreneur type of business and what we just talked about the biggest levers of or biggest factors there are these larger organizations larger systems that yeah. um, organizations that make up these systems and so how do we like how does your business play a role in shifting that mindset let's say from a grassroots bottom-up yeah. effort so like a couple of ways i think it's like when i talk about sustainability i talk yeah, my business is all about helping um, build strong rooted and radical businesses and strong means that they've got enough cash flow they've got um, focus and you know they've got focus we're working on the right things um, but we also talk about sustainability but sustainability isn't just for you as the business owner it's sustainability for your team it's sustainability for your audience it's sustainability for your clients so as an example if um, you know you could pay someone you know and I'm not judging you who does this but like you know you could pay someone $15 an hour to be a virtual assistant right while you're working not very you know you're that means you can just take a step back but what you've done is you've you know that's not a thriving wage for them so yes you get more time and yes you get more you know more profit but it's not sustainable for your ecosystem and so how do we make choices about like well maybe i need to pay more to another small business in order to keep money 
in the ecosystem that we're trying to build versus taking my personal profits down um, or you know saving more for my personal profits but not investing in my team um, I've seen some with like our clients like there's some entrepreneurs that are charging what I consider for me reckless amounts of money because the amount they're charging for their programs is gonna put people in debt it's gonna put people in like real financial threat and when you're coming from that space of like it's both an activating force but also potentially like a really detrimental act you know a threat it's like okay now I have to like make this money back because that was like all I had right so you're coming from an energy of scarcity in activation versus a um, energy of kind of sustainability and like how can I step into the fullest potential of my power not what's gonna make me the most money the fastest and they don't have to charge that much money they don't have to and so like how are we being like cognizant of our clients you know like yes you want to charge what's it, what it's worth but like and you want them to be invested but also how do we make the balance between not putting them in a threat and not how you know those are the types of things that I think about how do we like look at the long term and also in your, your health yeah if you if you burn yourself out then you're not going to be in business and if you don't charge enough you're not going to be in business right so how do we think about all those avenues and stop giving our time and attention away to you know trying to keep up with the Joneses as it comes to business versus saying being really clear about your business design and being like I want to do what's in my gifts what's in my tolerance and I'm going to grow sustainably knowing that that means I might not have like a six-figure record year year over year because I'm still building and how do we make that okay and how do we normalize that it's okay but part of that is you have to have these communities of care that are around you to say well if maybe financially you're not you know we you know we have like financial reservoirs we have emotional reservoirs we have social reservoirs we have physical reservoirs and it's like okay well if, if we're tapping into the financial aspect how do we make sure that we are shored up emotionally and socially and physically right we can't deplete ourselves into all areas because then we're gonna burn out so those are the aspects I think about like when it comes to longer-term sustainability of this small business ecosystem is how do we avoid exploiting ourselves our clients our communities and our planet mm. so then like with all those different factors in play what is the is there an intentional process that that you use to make sure that you are taking those factors into account when making those decisions of finding those right balances. I think it comes back to kind of the soul piece of like, what is the purpose of what, I think there's there are systems and then there's process and the systems are like, I'm going to intentionally design mutualism and justice into my business practices. So I'm going to price so that I can give things pro bono away. I'm gonna price so that I can pay my employees a thriving wage. I'm going to price so that I have you know my own reservoirs of physical capacity and so like that's like systems right like you're embedding mutualism and justice into your system and then there's the kind of soulful understanding like your North Star and your your lighthouse as it were is what is the purpose of more growth what is the purpose of this business why are you doing it at all and how do we understand like the because the purpose of business at least for the ones I work with is not to get paid I mean it is but really there's a higher purpose beyond that and how do I help always connect with what that is so we start in all of my process projects and you know my clients we always start with soul like why are you uniquely gifted to do this work 
what is the vision that you have for the work that you're meant to do in the world and what is the and my mentor kelly calls it the injustice what is the villain in injustice you're, fa you're fighting with your work and for me it's this idea of this perfect business formula and this business machine that is designed to grind you into it's designed to grind you down because it doesn't want you to you know make decisions that are kind of counter to accumulating the most personal profit you can because that's in working all the time and taking breaks and being luxurious with your time because that's you know not what henry ford set out to do he decided to make cars and he wanted to make a lot of cars really fast um so it's like taking that pattern interrupt from like the constant consumerism culture and saying truly what why am i doing this and i think that's what programs like mine and, and coaching like mine is designed to do is be like the pattern interrupt of like what's the purpose not just like it's to make money but like what's the broader purpose that it serves in the world mm, i love that so i guess do you see so i guess where do you see yourself with your business falling within that spectrum of obviously like i want to keep growing i want to let's say build a team out like let's say that's on one end of the spectrum i want to be a multi you know eventually maybe to sell it or whatever it is yeah. versus once i get it to this level like you know, let's just keep it there. Like I'm happy, you know, it's a lifestyle business. I guess I'm curious, where do you see yourself right now, uh, your business falling into there? I don't know. Um, like right now, I mean, like I don't have a choice to make because I'm still in um, what I call the strengthened mode of my business, right? I'm still gaining visibility, gaining exposure um, and building the foundational elements of my business so that I become known well enough before that's an, a decision to be made. But I don't think I really want it to be like a big behemoth. Um, I want to be able to work with clients on a small enough basis where I get to personally be invested in everyone I work with, even if I bring on teams and things like that. Um, but I'm also seeing that um, there's an interesting need for like some, like um, I work with um, a coach who um, is an incredible, like top of funnel, system like they bring in lots of people yet as his business scales he's too busy to coach personally people that are involved with that and so you know i'm a subcontractor coach um, with him as part of like my arms of business and so you know he's trained me and so now i'm working with the people that are you know, he brings them in and so like how can i be that for somebody else how can i be mentoring others in how we can do business differently, um, never to be like, I wanna, I wanna scale, I don't ever wanna scale beyond integrity, but I also wanna reach as many people as possible. So how can I do that with podcasts? How can I do that with courses? How can I do that with books? Um, how can I do that where people are able to get access to this new, new ways of thinking about doing business without um, feeling like they they pay a lot of money to not get access to thought leadership but mm. i don't know what that i don't know what that like balance looks like yet i haven't i haven't you know like a year ago i wanted to be a project manager and now i'm like how can i be a force for change and thinking about especially how um, businesses micro businesses can can uh, scale with soul and with structure um, and you know that's a very different, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't uh, had the time and space necessarily to like really think about like the next version of my, my business. It's been a sprint 
for the last 18 months. And now it's like the first time I'm getting a chance to really like, okay, like what could the next chapter look like? I've got some ideas about like, um, how do I help pull, like pull lots of threads together for a lot of people. There's a lot of people doing like podcasting and sales coaching and like offer design. And I'm like, but no one's really pulling it all together in a way that like says, okay, like you could do all these things, but like, what do you need to do right now? Um, so there's this interesting piece of like, maybe I'm not like teaching any of those things. Maybe I'm teaching people how to distill and essentialize and plan and build it into a sustainable system for them. Mm, I love that. I mean, I think it's great that the answer that you said, you, you said you don't know, but I mean, I see you have like some inklings or ideas and it's like this last, like, let's say a couple of, or like last few weeks for with, uh, enrolling people into your program was a sprint, but you also said this last 18 months is a sprint. So it's like all about, I think, perspective of like, but it's also cool though, when we can see, um, like last year you said you want to be a project manager now, like in 12 months or however long it's been, it's like completely different in a way that resonates more, yeah. you know, deeply with, with yourself. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to take some time, I guess here's the change up. <laughs> sure. Um, so normally in podcasts, there's always like these rapid fire questions or whatnot. I like to go the other way um, and kind of just do a little uh, cooling down session. So normally um, we'll just kind of take 30 seconds, a minute, whatever it is, just and just kind of relax, chill, um, take some time to process all the information that we talked about. And then at the end of that pause, I'll allow you to ask me a question since I believe you can get more insight into how people think with the questions that they ask. Yeah. And then we can keep the conversation going from there. Cool. Perfect. Yeah, let's let's do it. So my question for you is, um, I guess I don't know how many people you bring on your podcast that kind of talk about like capitalism and government and political systems related to these casually profound conversations. As I'm talking, what has resonated with you and where do you have more questions? Mm. Particularly as you're building a business um, that you're you're building you you're a part of us us uh, you know a company but you're also building your own business that's system related so what has sparked your curiosity or interest or what resonates from these topics we've covered today yeah great question i think the first part of it is um so how, essentially put how to scale intuition yeah um, as, as we're talking about these things I think soul intuition are let's say overlapping circles yeah um, and so it's like okay we understand let's say from an individual perspective how I can bring soul intuition groundedness all these related topics into my individual business to my right. micro business now, how do we then translate that to, let's say, medium-sized businesses? How do you translate that to large 
businesses and take this bottom-up approach of, you know, here's this intuition that I can use individually, but then let's say there's five levels in an organization with 25 employees, then how does the intuition of the CEO of that company, how does that translate down into the VP level, into the director level, into the manager, into the individual contributor level, right? Like that is something that I'm still grappling with as like, okay, I understand on the individual level, now how do you you scale that intuition? Um, I guess I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. I think the biggest (laughs) barrier to intuition, I think there's two. It's um, legitimately no time and space for it. And the second part is organizations are truly not choosing. So, um, and they go hand in hand, right? Like if you, um, I I worked at a company um, that had basically every department was a strategic priority. I'm like, no, 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 that's not actually strategy, right? Like if you're like, we want to reduce the cost of trucks and we want to increase their service and we want to reduce our inventory. And I'm like, you legitimately can't do all those things at once, right? At least not to the levels you want. You can't be best in class in all three unless you're the size of Walmart um, because you have that kind of leverage. But Walmart does it because they've made choices. And so I see too few organizations actually have choice that allows them for true trade-off design, trade-off decisions of like, so that way, you know, if you have real choice of like, we are truly making strategic choices like a Southwest Airlines, we are not gonna serve major metros, we are gonna serve their satellite locations. That's, that's systemic design that allows for clear choices up and down the organization. But that with having clear choices and saying, putting things on the no list, instead of just more things on the yes list, gives you more space. So you can be thoughtful about it, instead of just being like, we're gonna bring everybody back in the office, you know, hybrid just cause. Why should people be there? What are the point of meetings if you have too many meetings because no one's sure who's in charge, instead of like taking on more meetings, actually take a step back and say, what do we need to do to redesign organizations so that everybody's roles and responsibilities are clear? And I think that's like, because no one takes a break, we don't leave any space for creative thought and intuition. Now, and because we don't take any space for, to let those things come out, we spend a lot of time running around in meetings, productivity theater, which means that we don't have time. So it's like, but again, in order to do that, you, there is likely going to be some kind of cost in the short term of like truly projects that you counted on aren't going to happen. Now, to be fair, they were not going to happen anyways, but most people would rather apologize after the fact than make the hard decision up front. And I think that's where all through the organization chains, that's why I think it starts with like leaders who are willing to make hard choices and sacrifices for the benefit of the long, the medium to long term. That's how we get intuition back into organizations is by giving leaders time and space instead of like being like, oh, do more with less. How do we do less? Just do less. <laughs> and that allows us to think about how we could do less more efficiently, but no one like, but. And I think we've just been wired to be like, well, if I'm not in a meeting all day, and if I'm not hands-on keyboard time all the time, I'm not productive. So that doesn't mean we need to be in an office. That means we need to be very clear with what success looks like for every job. And that means we need to give managers manager training and leader training on actually how 
to be good leaders without requiring to see people's green status on teams or seeing them in the office. So I think it's three things. It's, you know, clear strategy, a ability to not fill space with junk and manager and leadership and not just leadership training, but like manager training. And I think that's how you, and those are the systemic changes that protect the time for intuition to raise up through the organization. Mm. So how do, how do you get the buy-in of, so, so, so let's say in my position, right? And let's say I'm two levels removed from the CEO. A lot of other companies, let's say that's like five levels removed, right? Or even more. And so like, let's say I believe this as an individual contributor, as a manager, I believe this and I want to do this on my own. How would you go ab about doing that? It's like, all right, is it, all right, now I have someone that I'm managing and like use that as a, I don't want to use experiment, but like a case study, like, hey, here's, if, since I have, I have been given autonomy by my manager to lead my team as best as they've, you know, they have given me the ability to do. Yeah. Then, you know, I, there's that bottom up again, like leading by example approach. What's the, what's like the top down way to get buy-in from the top level people that you see? Um, I mean, I think th they have to have cost. Like it's like, okay, operating like this is coming at a cost. Like I'm seeing high turnover. I'm seeing we're not getting the results I'm looking for. And there has to be a willingness and like a setting aside of ego to like look at things differently. Um, and, but also I think you don't just have to lead by example. I think you can also manage up. Um, like when you're like, how do you protect your own boundaries? And again, this does come with somewhat of a status hit, um, but it's like, and it's not quite quitting, but it's truly saying, um, okay, when your manager like comes with you with like yet another thing to do, for example, and you're like, okay, well, where does this fit in the priority list? Because these are my current priorities and this is what I'm currently working on. If you want one of these, if you want something else to be done, something else has to come off the list. And then they're like, oh, oh wait, no, no, actually, these things are actually more important than what I just, so let me like figure out another way to get it done. The more now that comes with like a cost again, but like you're letting them know instead of like taking it on internally, then they're like, well, your manager's gonna have to say, well, now I have too much to do because yes, yes, actually what I've given Sai is actually the most important things he should be doing. So like, I gotta find another way to do this task. They might then put that back, punt that back up to their manager. So it's not just like leading by example, but it's also being very clear with your priorities. Um, but again, like for it to start from the top, it has to be like the leaders, leaders at the top have to have real, like have, have to come to a realization on their own that like they're not getting the results they want because of their management practices. And not everybody does, but a lot of it is turnover. Like if they can't retain good talent, and they're, you know, they keep letting talent walk out the door. That might be a signal if they create time and space individually yeah. <laughs> to reflect on that, to be like, oh, something's not working here. But again, that's where we have to create a culture instead of lionizing busyness. How do we celebrate and honor slowing down these mindfulness practices, breaking away from our digital devices mm -hmm. so that we, our leaders have the time and space to think more broadly about like, instead of just like, how do I get to like the next gate? 
So I think it's a culture, it's like how do we model cultural change, but also how do we continue to celebrate slowing down? And again, like breaking, reclaiming our focus for what's most important. Yeah, I like that perception and reality though is like, is also a tough, I don't wanna say tough, but it's, it's always a, it's top of mind when I am intentional about being more, let's taking that rest and recover yeah. periods, right? Because then it's seen as, oh, you're not being productive, right? Um, like, no, I'm taking my, like taking time to recover, taking time to be creative, to think just without any boundaries, right? Just yeah. like, let me just take a walk. But then that's seen as, seen as let's say, if I spend a 15, 20 minute walk outside, that's seen as time away from a keyboard, time away, you know, not in a meeting or something like that, that is um, not moving the company towards its goals. Right, and that's why I think is you as an individual have to be very clear of like, you know, how do you, if, if your manager's not gonna set your results for you, okay, work with your manager to say, what is the results you're looking for? Like, how does my results impact your strategy? And then you have to say, these are the results that I'm striving for, these are the actions that I'm doing, and you have to proactively manage up. Because if you were telling them, if, if, like, if, if they don't know what's going on, they're gonna micromanage you to death. If they know, like if they can rely on you to say, you know, Sai's gonna, Sai knows his results that we're looking for, he is going to keep me appraised of the actions he's doing to get to that result. I don't have to worry about whether or not he's like spending time on keyboard because he's actively moving the needle on the rocks that we both agreed on. So I trust that like I can see his progress without having to measure his time on keyboard. But that requires one, some fortitude from individual to be like, yes, I am going to take the time to spell it out for my boss on a regular basis so he doesn't have to micromanage me. It takes more upfront cost to then, you know, make it easier on the, on like ongoing. And I think that's where um, too many people are like, people are like, I don't have time to like plan out my week and plan out my quarter. I'm like, do you have time to be on social media? Then you have time. Do you have plan to watch TV? Then you have time. Like now you might not choose and you might need the structure to get started, but you have time, I promise. Because if you didn't like that 10 hour, that like 30 minutes of planning every week and you know, having that upfront conversation with your boss is going to prevent all this stuff on the back end. And again, that's, it's a choice of effortful over easy, but that makes it easier long-term. Mm, yeah. And by the way, Dan, if you're listening, it's probably the opposite issue that we have. <laughs> we're, we're, I have too much autonomy. Uh, um, and because it's, um, yeah, I definitely don't, although I was describing it like that, it, it definitely like is not because it, yeah. Cause like, like you said, we have, it's like, here are the, you know, we use the OKR process. Yeah. Um, and so we have, now here's the company objectives. Here's our like marketing objectives. Right. And then like after that, it's kind of autonomous. And then we just, right now it's been less and less about tactics and more and more about strategy and like yeah. mindset. And then, all right, Sai, I trust you. Yeah. So, like, I think that's, like, we're in a good, like, as a company, you know, for us specifically, we're in a good place. Not from what I've seen and heard about other companies. Yeah. That's probably not, not the case. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that's probably because you have gotten out of the weeds and you have gotten out of the, you have gotten out of the, the grind of the day-to-day, -day, 
you know, minutia to what are the strategic choices we're making? What are the strategic rocks we're moving forward? And how you get those done is kind of on your plate. And if you run into challenges, you bring them up proactively. But again, um, there's this book called uh, Multipliers. And it's all about like, you know, it's a two-way street. Like if your manager doesn't know what's going on and you don't tell them, they're going to come micromanage you because they have no, like, they probably don't have any way to know whether that they are making progress. So they're doing it out of a sense of like saving their own hide. And so how can you as an individual, yes, you're having to do their job for them somewhat, but how can you give them the, and it's like a what's in it for me type thing. Like, okay, like I'm not doing this. So you, you know, like what's in it for you? Here's all of the things I'm doing so that you can know that for your boss, right? Like it's, here's it for you. Like you leave me alone to do my job and I will make it well worth your while. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and, but again, it takes, it takes time away from inbox zero and like Teams chats to step away from the keyboard to say, what is the mechanism I need to communicate the results I'm doing and the activities I'm doing to my manager so that they leave me alone? Again, you can't do that if you're just like, how can I crank through as many emails as possible and how can I attend as many meetings? So it does require some of that like space to set those systems and processes in place to generate more leverage for your time. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I guess switching gears a little bit, um, going back to one of your questions, like your question to me after the pause was like, what's another thing that I've been like thinking about, right? And a, a phrase that has come to me repeatedly and I've seen more manifestation of more and more is quality scales. And I feel like I come up with it, but it's probably somewhere. <laughs> um, but it's like, I think we think about like quality as, um, or we think of like quantity as like a growth, right? It's like, okay, I need to, let's say I need to hit my revenue target. I need to, let's say, increase my business from, you know, one person to, you know, five clients, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Um, but I've, I've found and noticed that I think like, doing the best possible job for one person, one client, like just you know, like saying no to the people two through four for the immediate time. If you spend like, here's the best quality that I can provide for that one person, then I think that that quality, that depth of quality scales compared yeah. to like thinking about how am I gonna grow my company? Yeah. Yeah, I love that idea. I think some of the advice I see for entrepreneurs that I disagree with is like putting systems in place too early and niching down too early and kind of putting things on repeat too early. Because I think that by doing the things that don't scale in the, the beginning, you're going to learn so much more about what your clients need. You're going to learn so much more about what you offer and you're going to know how to build in real quality to your systems instead of saying, I have this product, how can I, how can they buy what I'm selling? And I have this process, how can they fit into my thing? But it's like, how do we serve them and say, what are the objections that they have? What are the challenges that they have? How, not just going over above from like a customer service perspective, but really what are their other problems that maybe weren't, I wasn't selling to, but that are apparent and how can I navigate that through my service? What do they need? And what role does my work play in that? And I think when we're 
trying to establish product market fit. It's like, how do we just understand our clients incredibly deeply and then serve where they're at versus systematizing too early to, and we miss the mark. So I think that's like, that's um, like, how do we try a bunch of stuff that doesn't scale early to figure out what will? Yeah, I guess one thing that you mentioned in the, like one of the squad videos that I saw the recording of recently was like your program right now, 100K Your Way, is not necessarily the person that you were five years ago. Right. But it's the, how did you phrase it? It's like the person that I'm not. It's like my compliment. <laughs> right, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess how do you, I, I guess could you describe more of that concept? Because uh, I guess normally, for me, like right now, my coaching business, I've kind of come to the re realization that I'm probably looking for myself four or five years ago after yeah. I graduated college, right? So I guess how would you describe what your current program is, is doing there? Yeah, so it's like, it's like um, I'm the yin, you're, they're the yang, in the sense of like most of the people I work with are, when we think about the creation cycle, they're in one of, I think the creation cycle I've heard of is like three phases. It's kind of ideation, activation, and implementation. So, you know, we've got our ideators, our dreamers, our manifesting generators from like the human design perspective. We've got our, um, on the implementation side, we've got our healers and helpers and advocates and um, advisors, right? And we've got those in the middle who are truly helping to take visionary ideas, translate them into action. And then from our, you know, our implementers, how do we help get them out of the weeds and raise them up a level? So my job is to help these big idea creators ground into tactical action plans, but then the ones that are like in the weeds of do, just doing the thing, how do I help chunk them up to like the bigger picture of why they're doing it so they don't get trapped in activity and my ideators don't get lost in the weeds and like lost in the vision. So I am not always the best implementer. I mean, I'm pretty good because I've had to be, um, but like when it comes to like truly holding the human space as a coach and truly being an advocate and a healer that's not i can but like i want to that's that's less of like my it's a core competency not a my, my works of genius and i am not like a visionary galvanizer like i'm never i don't know if i will ever be like putting like people together on a stage and like revving up a crowd um i talked about this in my um I did a, 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 an endurance challenge a couple of months ago, and there were three different types of influencers on the, there was the coach, Jesse Itzler, who like got everyone galvanized and revved up. There were the coaches who like led in small groups, and then the coaches who like walked with me hand in hand up the mountain. I'm never gonna be like the person that's like, I'm gonna put on an event by the sheer force of my like charisma. That's just not who I am. Um, so, but I help those on the other sides of the um, creation cycle who are missing parts of the, the piece, right? So I'm working with um, big, big idea people who can't necessarily put it into structure framework what they need to do next, and people who are in the weeds who need to chunk up to say, okay, what's the bigger picture? How can I make sure that what I'm doing is the right leverage and the right truly what I need to be doing versus like following just like tactics that I've been handed by a variety of entrepreneurs. Yeah, I, I think that's the idea execution implement or I, ideation, ideation, activation, activation, implementation. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's pretty similar to like the, the visionary integrator 
and then executor. Executor. Yeah, I'm an but, integrator. Right, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, as you were describing that, it's like okay, you're integrating both yep. both sides of, yep. of of that aspect there. Um, I guess I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, like, when you mentioned your, like, you were working with another coach who, um, like, you're coaching other people because he's built enough, you know, yeah, uh, you know, bigger business that he can, you know, have other coaches work with him. Where do you kind of see the future of coaching going? Because, like, for me, it's there's with like a life coach, for example, there's starting to become like a negative stigma of like, okay. All right, like everyone's becoming a life coach as one of the fastest growing industries, and especially someone my age, like, okay, what gives you the, the authority to say like, hey, here's how you should live your life or, you know, yeah. these perceptions. And so I'm curious where you see um, the future of like coaching generally going. Well, I think there's a couple different kinds of coaching. So I just want to like, there's the coaching that is, I would say, uh, and I didn't pick this up. It's I'm trying to like remember it from Leon Vanderpool's book, like a transformation of being. There's like transactional coaching, which is like you need accountability. It's less coaching and more light consulting in the sense of like, I have skills, you don't have those skills. How can I help you implement these skills and break down barriers and blocks? There's the coaches that are, you have a goal and I'm going to help you come up with action plans to get there. Then there are the coaches that are transformational coaches, and they are the ones that recognize that we have lived our, we have been embedded pre our generation in our lives with subconscious beliefs about how we operate in the world. And those beliefs have been embedded through us in childhood, through our development. And again, we picked up generational um, belief systems from our, our families and those roots generate certain fruits and outcomes in our lives. And if we want to get different outcomes, we have to be willing to do the transformational work of unrooting those belief systems that are that are in our nervous system. They're not just they're not just thought beliefs. They are like baked into our body and un, unearth those plant new roots and essentially be the guide for how someone can start to embed those new neural pathways and new ways of believing and new actions and patterns and identity shifts to that's not work that can really be done in a group. Um, so the coaching I'm doing with like this, it's a productivity coach. Like I'm not doing transformational work. Like I'm not like, we're not talking about your belief system. I'm helping to hold you accountable to taking baby steps. So I think that, and again, like life coaching shouldn't be about telling someone how they should live their life. It should be about saying, helping them investigate the root cause of beliefs and physical, you know, emotional embodiment that is keeping them safe in their current situation, but that's keeping them stuck from where they want to be. And so how do you help, you know, again, you know, unplant the roots, excavate the roots, help, help expand their nervous system window of tolerance for the changes that are coming so that um, people can begin to reprogram um, the subconscious belief structures. Because again, change is hard because like we're safe and our brain is designed to keep us from anything that's going to be seen as a threat and all change is a threat. So there's life coaching, but again, it has to be a skilled practitioner who is trained in transformational coaching versus someone that's like, I'm going to help you create an action plan and we're going to move A, B, and C through it. Mm. 
Got it. So I guess how to so looking at these different sections of transformational coaching, more tactical, yeah, and then all these different types that you mentioned. How do you see that kind of playing out um, going forward with? Because like I just hired you know a coach myself recently outside of the squad, and yeah. so you know that's been you know a tremendous value. Like that is more specific to my business, right? And so I guess where do you see? I guess, like, if you want to pick one of those aspects, like, where do you see those going in, in the, let's say, next next few years? I mean, I think, like, the amount of the amount of like societal change and trauma that we're going through is nothing like we've ever seen before. And I think it's going to be facing forcing a lot of people to say think differently about how they want to spend. Like, do I really want to keep working for this big corporation, where this is my only life, right? Um, unless you believe in like you know life after life, but um, this is my only life. So the amount of messages I get in my inbox being like, I'm really scared to take the next step, will you help me, are immense. And I'm like, you know, I don't really, my, my, my passion isn't going to be working with people to break free from corporate, um, but the amount of people who are hitting a spot in their life that's like, I need to do something different. I think they'll start with this transactional coaching or transactional coaching. They might move to like more strategic coaching. Um, and there's a word, he uses a word for it, I can't remember what it is, but like, then they'll say, okay, like this is, this is helping me get out of pain. This is helping me set good state in my life. And this is what's gonna help transform me for the future. But there's enough people who are like, I'm dying inside and it was okay. And now I'm starting to see the world burn around me and I'm no longer willing to stay silent and stay complacent because something needs to change. And so I think life coaching, like with skilled practitioners is primed for a continued growth, right? But like for new coaches, I would say it's not about the, it's like, it's like get as much practice as you can because it's not about the money. Like the, you have to be incredibly skilled and trauma informed and understand truly like neuroscience and truly understand to really justify charging those kinds of rates for people. Um, I see too many people like jumping out and being like, I'm going to be a life coach and I'm going to charge exorbitant amounts of money because I can and then get frustrated. And I'm like, just get practice coaching. And there is, en- there is enough people who need coaching. You just have to continue to be thoughtful about like your spot on the wall and like the reason why you're doing this and like your story and become really skilled as a coach. Mm. Yeah. Like the coach that I recently hired, he, I think similar kind of buckets there what like what you mentioned like viewing it as even though it's like you label yourself as a coach it's like one part of it is like you're a counselor right next you're a consultant so like that skill um inculcation and then the then you're the coach how do you yeah you know it's like getting them up from where they are to baseline then getting the skills from base baseline so they can gear up for growth and then the coach piece of it to like hit that uh growth curve yeah Yeah. um and so i guess is there kind of to wrap up here is there any are there any last questions thoughts um that we didn't get to talk about that you wanted to to mention i feel like we could go on for hours we probably could no i think i I think we really covered it but I, i think it's um like even in our conversation today i can like watch you like wrestling with um ideas about like the systems were a part of and like I would say that like none of this was in my language like 18 months ago 
like 18 months ago when I left, I was like, how can I get the fuck out? Sorry if you're even yeah. language. How can I get the hell out of the job? Because I was consumed with, and I was a quiet quitter. I like basically mentally quit in November, stuck it out till I got my bonus um, in, in March. And then, but like, I had no mind space. I had no physical space. I had no emotional space. I've been working with a coach for like three years, right? But like, and I'd started to see glimmers like, you know, the aura started to, the shadows started to go away and I started working with energy healers and things like that, but I get to get the shadows to go on. But I had like, I was like, I know there's something other than this and I don't know what it is. And then when I left, I had a few teachers, um, show me different, like introduce me to a feminist marketing coach and introduce me to like someone who did tarot. And I started just like going down the rabbit hole, finding books, finding teachers, finding other like-minded human beings that um, I could surround myself with. So if you're like, if you're stuck in like the, if you're stuck in the, like I like, if you're stuck in like the just living the days through the days, I encourage you to reach out to you, reach out to me to say, how can I like start getting some expanders in my practice that show me that there's a different path? Because I took that on a leap of faith. I'm like, I know there's a different path. There's got to be. I just don't have the energy to figure that out. So I found like a bunch of people on Twitter and. LinkedIn and Instagram who were doing it differently. And I'm like, okay, this makes me feel safe. Um, I'm thankful that I leapt anyways without having some of those um, role models and some of those ex like people expanders um, because I had like some financial backup to do it. Um, but I would encourage anyone who's like, I I'm scared. And I don't know how, I don't like where I'm living now and I don't have like a path forward. Like that's what, that's in the like a little bit like what coaching can do at the beginning is like, how can I just like provide you some role models or be a role model for you of like, okay, there's a different way to do it. And you might not have the energy and capacity to like truly like immerse yourself in it right now. That's okay. But like, let's just like start to break down the barriers of what's possible. Mm, I love that message. Um, for anyone who's listening, hopefully um, either that insight, one of the amazing insights that Jessica's had throughout this time, um, I think, Hopefully we can take one thing away at least and say, say no to the other things and then say yes to this one thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it's been, been an amazing conversation, yes. Jessica. Thank you for um, coming over here. Um, and it's been an amazing, casually profound chat and looking forward to more. So thank you for listening to another episode of Size Eyes in the Casually Profound series. And I will see you next time. <laughs>